And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Yes, for sure. And boy, did I love this one. Good. Thank you for picking it. I'm so glad. Yeah. Scaramouche by Raphael Sabatini. The subtitle is A Romance of the French Revolution. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) You bet. Well, uh, the revolution is kind of gearing up for a lot of the book. At the end is when it really takes off. Oh, for sure. I, I thought it was good throughout. Um, oh, yeah. I didn't have any any downtime in there. Um, but Raphael Sabatini is a new one for me, and um, he's written like 35 books, and you said you've read several. So this is neat. Nice find. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I can't remember how I first discovered him, but it was, and I had tried Captain Blood, which is his most famous one, because with that name and so many pirates, uh, how could it not be? And it had never grabbed me at the very beginning. And I really think that this book, somehow I came across an audio recording or maybe even from like Jesse at SFF Audio or something like that. And, um, it really grabbed me. And then I went, well, I'm going to try Captain Blood again. And I went, oh, my gosh. <laughs> These swashbucklers are amazing. Oh, wow. And then I just kept going. And, you know, some are better than others, but they all are very entertaining. And in line with your idea of blockbusters for the summer, mm, this was my idea nice. of a summer book. It's It's got – this one is deeper than some of yeah, his others. Yeah, quite. But oh, this is deeper just, than some of his other books? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh but it's just also just such great fun. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And there's some super interesting stuff because I don't know a ton about the French Revolution. So mm-hmm. one of the questions I had is about historicity. Is it, uh, is it pretty accurate what was in here? Yes. Okay. I mean, all the stuff like with the marquee and the, you know, the personalized story part mm-hmm. is representative more than... Um, accurate by being about anybody so the evil marquis is you know obviously he's the aristocracy who we can't stand and um then andre louis the hero is you know the the clever fellow who's who's in everything and kind of showing all the different ways things were influenced as part of the background but a lot of the main characters that you see were actual people in the revolution they were involved in the organizations that are mentioned. They had the attitudes that they're representing in the book. Which is portrayed really as um, pretty much like the rich folks against the rest of everybody, <laughs> right? <laughs> it, I mean, that's that's kind of how it's portrayed. And Andre Louis is one of the rich class, but he ends up on the side of the revolutionaries. Yeah, he's, he's kind of an interesting bridge character in a sense because... He is raised as nobility, but he is his parentage is unknown. Mm-hmm. So in the parlance of the day, he's a bastard. Mm. So he's been raised by the rich man of the local town, which is a small town. And people assume that the rich man who raises him is his father, but neither he nor the rich man have ever talked about it or assumed that. Yeah. 
It's just like he's benevolent to him. Mm -hmm. And so, but because of that, he's got this, he doesn't seem to worry about it, but there's this uncertainty. He's of the aristocracy, but he's also not. Right. And then as he goes along, he's thrust in, well, and I guess we should do spoilers. I mean, do a a summary, but Mm -hmm. he's kind of thrust in amongst the common people and he sees more and more how society is not really working out for a lot of people. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And so, his, his initial impetus for being on that side is a friend of his. Right? A priest. This is, yeah, a priest mm-hmm. or, or a seminarian. I couldn't, didn't remember if he was all the way in. Um, oh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, Vilmorin, Vilmorin. <laughs> yes. I apologize Philippe. for not being able to speak the French names in a, a Frenchly. <laughs> that's okay we're american we're doing the best we can man yes um but but yeah so that's, that's the beginning of the that's the beginning of the summary i would say is um this encounter right so um because he's andre louis is introduced to us as um he really as he talks to his friend who's come to the house because he wants to see this Marquis, who lives nearby, who happens to be at the house also visiting Andre Louis' adopted father, I guess you would say, although that's mm. benefactor, let's say. And um, because a local peasant was caught, um, what, capturing game on the Marquis' territory and he was killed by the gameskeeper, which was within, well within the law. But the priest is like, well, now you've got his whole family, you, you know, they're bereft and they're going to starve and all this stuff. And it was way out of proportion for what he was doing. Hmm. And um, yeah, Andre Louis is like, well, you know, this is the law, man. And he's he doesn't really care about anything. But he's a lawyer, Andre Louis is. And so um, he's kind of being the devil's advocate to his friend and he doesn't really care. But what happens is... The friend does wind up confronting the Marquis, and this happens really early, and it's the impetus for everything. So let's just say it. The Marquis just goes ahead and just kills the friend. Yes. Kills Philippe. <laughs> In just, a duel, right? With, with yeah. swords, you know? So as if this priest had any chance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he knows it. And, and Andre is going, no, no, you don't have to do this. This is this, you're fully within your honor to back away. He's like, I can't. I must be honorable about it. And, <laughs> you know, that's it. And they both thought that he would be wounded. But mm. the Marquis just goes for blood. And so he's dead. <laughs> uh, Andre is furious and also, of course, totally upset. I mean, he asked the Marquis, just kill me. How can I live without my friend? Mm. Yeah. And, um, so what happens is, is he gets so mad. He's like, that's it. The Marquis said he didn't want you saying all this revolutionary stuff all over the place. Cause he was saying the peasants deserved to be treated just as well as the aristocracy. And how can you do this? And we're going to rise up. And he obviously had revolutionary tendencies of equality. And Andre says, that's it. Mm-hmm. I am going to go and spread his message as if I were him. <laughs> And so he heads off to the nearest town where it happens there's an incident in place. He gives an impassioned speech, which just gets the people going right Riles away. He them has, up. Yes. Yeah, he has mm-hmm. a real talent for oratory, they say. <laughs> and so he riles them all up, and then he leaves and comes back, and then they find out whoever this guy was who started this riot where everybody was killing everybody 
we're going to get him. So he's got to go on the lamb. In the meantime, by the way, he's got a beautiful cousin who since nobody knows who he is, he's really not his cousin. So we're setting up a nice situation here <laughs> who uh, he's obviously interested in, but she wants, she's interested because the marquee might offer for her. And he's like, first of all, he's 40 years old and you're 19. Second of all, how could you love him? He's awful. He's so cold. You'll be miserable. I've seen how he treats women. And she's like, I don't know. It might be nice to be that rich and powerful. And what will really be nice is to make him court me, hmm. to make him do what I want. <laughs> and um, he's like, oh, that's it. But she does love him enough, even if only as a cousin, to say, I'm going to help you get away because everybody's looking for you. Yeah. He winds up sleeping in a barn, um, and he winds up waking up to what sounds like a melodramatic um, moment between two lovers. But what it turns out is it's a theater group practicing. And the theater group takes him in, helps him escape justice because he can be very useful to them. And as he's part of this theater group, he winds up advancing very quickly because he can write some of the plays. He can also, when he's needed to, somebody hurts his foot, he can jump in and act because he's been helping write the plays that they're putting on. And he's, of course, with his gift of oratory, very effective. And um, that winds up turning into a situation where, again, he's brought into contact with the Marquis. Again, the revolution is starting to chug. And so at the beginning, when I said, you know, things are just kind of getting into gear, I meant the revolution, not the book. Mm -hmm. The book is going a thousand miles an hour from the beginning. Oh, very good. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to think how do you. So basically, from there, he winds up going on to another thing where he does fencing. So, I mean, he is having one big set of interesting experiences after another while. At the same time, in the background, everybody's looking for the guy who made that speech early on. And they, because one side wants to use him, the other side wants to shut him up. Right, yeah. So he's, a, he's of interest to all kinds of people. And as he runs into these people, they start going, well, you come here and be one of us. We need you on our side. Mm -hmm. And the whole time he keeps coming into contact with the marquee again and again and again. And um, it just leads to a very interesting set of encounters talking about how Andre is changing as a character. And we do learn about the Marquis more toward the end where you go, oh, I thought he was just, you know, evil villain number one. There's more to him than that. Hmm. He's not the greatest guy in the world, but there's depth. And so it's interesting that the author does that. Yeah, it is. And so the whole way... Mm -hmm. You're talking about all kinds of things, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I think, for me, uh, like arguments for and against the revolution, which is, you know, equality, money, um, what are the rights of man, what, what do we have a right to expect from each other, do the rulers uh, get respect, even if they're not giving respect back to the people. So all this stuff, but it's all in there, in a very entertaining package. And um, because the author's working with something that's happened so long ago in his set, He's not trying to necessarily take a side. Mm. I mean, Andre winds up taking a side more permanently, but the author's not saying that one side was right and one was wrong. He's just like, here's how it was happening and here's how everybody felt. I don't know. Do you feel yeah, that way? Or? I do feel that way too because he, he actually, you know, so there at the beginning when he does his oratory that riles everybody up, 
mm-hmm. he does it without even full belief in what he's talking about. And he says yeah. that later. He says, you know, I said that, you know, I'm, I was just trying to almost in a way complete what his friend was trying to do or to help his friend, you know, after he had been killed with his cause. Right. Um, because he was so mad at the Marquis and so, so much in grief. But then I think that over the time, I think that that's the side he ended up on um, in his mind as well. Yeah, and so I I think, spoiler territory from here on. So, uh, yeah, so it's interesting. So I think there's two, for me, Mm -hmm. two main things reading at this time, which I've noticed before, of course. But um, so one is I'm thinking of something that Kurt Vonnegut said in either a book or an introduction or something, which was, we are what we pretend to be, so we must be careful about what we pretend to be. Mm, Yeah. Which kind of takes us back to Pascal's wager, right? Just yeah. pretend you believe in God for a year and see what happens. Mm-hmm. But so Andre is pretending to be like his friend because he's having to take on how would how would this guy have defended all these things? And mm-hmm. gradually, as he goes through all his experiences, continuing to give his friend's message because he is going to get that marquee with it. You're right. You do start he does start to believe it. And then, but the other thing is, is that um, because of what Andre finds out about his, his own past and the marquee and how the marquee has reasons for what he did that are beyond, I just didn't like this guy mm. and it was the law and I could kill him. Yeah. And the marquee has his own series of reflective conversations with people which was surprising to me. I didn't remember that at all. But at one point, Andre says to his mother, he says, when we know all of whatever it may be, we can never do anything but forgive, madame. Mm. And then he goes on to say, this is the truest thing of religion. Yes, right. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And I like that too. You know, it's even in in the macro thing that's going on in this, you know, forgiveness between the peoples too. The, uh, you know, the revolution, you know, that would have been awesome. (laughs) It's not what happened, but you know what I mean? But it's just just like, you know, that would be the ultimate thing. Um, I I highlighted a paragraph at the very beginning, which is our introduction to Andre Louis. And I thought Mm. this was interesting. He says, Andre Louis on his side had made the most of his opportunities. You behold him at the age of four and 20 stuffed with learning enough to produce an intellectual (laughs) indigestion in an ordinary mind. Out of his zestful study of man from Thu, uh, shoot, Thucydides? Is that how I say it? Oh, I don't know. From Thucydides to the Encyclopedists, from Seneca to Rousseau, he had confirmed into into an unassailable conviction his earliest conscious impressions of the general insanity of his own species. <laughs> you know, so that's 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 him at the beginning, right? He yeah. has learned enough. He's got enough in his head. And what he's got out of that is that my species is generally insane. Yeah, and, he's a complete cynic. Right. So then I think from there he does do this journey through time. Um, and he does change by the end. And uh, a lot of it is, you know, misconceptions on his part, which happened throughout where 
he views a situation and interprets it in a in a incorrect way, like with his cousin um, after a duel, which we definitely should talk about. But <clears throat> so, oh yeah, you know he saw her faint and he totally misinterpreted why. Um, right, and that right. and that knowledge affects his life moving forward. You know, um, I, I think that that's a really interesting thing. You know, because we all have our interpretations of things and we move forward as if that's true and sometimes it isn't but you know it gets deep down in us i think um you know yeah, it's hard, hard to shake that, and and he makes mistakes like that yeah yeah and he's not intuitive about other things so for instance we all know that i can't remember his name madame whoever it is starts with a p mm-hmm. it's probably his mother about. yeah yeah she definitely we, has a maternal view of him Immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when they talk about the past, she remembers her coming to visit when he's like four or five and saying to his um, guardian that, oh, I should just adopt him and take it back with me. And the guardian's like, oh, no, I can't do without him. And of course, then much later, you know, she's being very maternal, you know, as you say, and she's about 40 by then. And um, you're like, well, she has to be his mother. That's the mm-hmm. only reason she would care about him. Yeah. But he doesn't twig to any of that. Mm hmm. You know, right. So he's, he's got those blind spots and that's part of the thing about when we know all of whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. It's like whatever situation, like you say about, you know, and he's like, well, why do you, I know you love him because you fainted. And she's like, no, it's because I thought he killed you. (laughs) Oh, oh, that's better. Yes. You know, (laughs) that's right. Yeah. And he can be fooled by things like, oh, what was the actress? Let's see. Um, Mademoiselle Binet. Mm-hmm. So she is um, somebody who, she's the daughter of the troop leader who he joins in the theater. And um, she is, you know, <laughs> we see a little bit in the background, she's kind of mercenary from the beginning hmm. out to improve herself. And not in a in a necessarily bad way, kind of in an innocent way, but her father doesn't ever stop her from doing it. And like, so she discovers at one point that Andre Louis is, Oh, he grew up here with the, in this house, he must be rich. I'm going to be a great lady when I marry him. (laughs) And then she finds out that, Oh no, that wasn't his position at all. And then she's mad because she feels like this stuff's all been taken away from her. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, no, no, there's just, what is it, what difference does any of that make? Hmm. You know? That's right. And he has a very similar conversation with his cousin. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, she, she said, well, I, I gave up on you because you, you weren't interested or that was her interpretation of mm-hmm. events, which is also incorrect. So she said, so I decided to try to be ambitious because what else was I going to do? You know, what mm-hmm. other path was before me? So that's why she was interested in the marquee as a uh, way to get some money and stuff and, and live that kind of life because love was not going to be for her. Right. Yeah. All for uh, a misinterpretation of events or a misunderstanding of true feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, of course, we do that all the time. We do, yeah. 
Yeah, especially in our sitcoms. (laughs) (laughs) And and romantic comedies, of course. In romantic comedies, it's it's the staple, right? Well, yes, and that's how often it happens. Mm -hmm. We all know all the ways it's going to happen. It's just how are they going to do it this time? Right, right. Oh, but I loved it. I mean, so that first section is called The Robe. And, uh, you know, it's with the priest, and then the priest gets also killed. Also, him as a lawyer. Yep. Yeah. That's right. That's good. good point, yeah. And, um, yeah, then when he ends that section, which is a fairly short section, he mm-hmm. he ends up on the run. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, there was, was just a lot of nice discussion in it, you know? Well, I thought that was interesting, too, because there's three sections of the book. So there's the robe, and I'd forgotten about the priest. But he's the lawyer, right? And he's mostly thinking like a lawyer. This side versus that side. He's not really taking one side or the other. Who's going to maybe yeah, catch his yeah. interest or pay him and in that right. sense, that, I that guess. That is what that means, for sure. Because all three of them refer to him. Yeah. Yeah, not, and not someone se- else. Yep, go ahead. Right, right. And the second one's called the buskin, mm-hmm. if that's how you say it. And that's I looked that up. And so it's a style or spirit of tragic drama. Mm. But mostly a knee-high, kind of a knee-high boot. <laughs> but I was like, that's nice. funny because it's really put with the theater. Yeah, yeah. So. Yep, that's uh, cool. Very practical, workmanlike, I suppose. And then the sword, which is when he's teaching the fencing, learning fencing, teaching fencing school, and the revolution. Mm-hmm. And the resolution with uh, the marquee. Yeah. Which is always going to come down to a sword at some way, in some way. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's these discussions about, you know, the revolution, you know, pro and con. And, um, there's, and some of them were very interesting. So this is Andre Louis talking to Ville Moran, who is the priest, right? right? And the priest is arguing for the revolution. Basically, that's what his arguments are. We need to overthrow this, this uh, situation. Right. But Andre Louis says, you know, you must change man, not systems. Can you and our vaporing friends of the literary chamber of Rennes or any other learned society of France devise a system of government that has never yet been tried? Surely not. And can they say of any system tried that it proved other than a failure in the end? My dear Philippe, the future is to be read with certainty only in the past. Ab actu ad passe vale consecuto. <laughs> Consecutio. I, yeah. I applaud that attempt. Thank you. <laughs> but he says, man never changes. He is always greedy, always acquisitive, always vile. I am speaking of man in the bulk. <laughs> right? You know, so there's, you know, mm-hmm. uh, our mankind situation, you know. So it is a fairly clear view from our man at the beginning there. But he says... You must change man, not systems. And then he says, but you can't change man. Not in the bulk anyway. But it's like, you must change man. It's like alluding to, well, you know, you need to change me. And changing that one person had a great effect on the revolution in this novel, right? Right, and it shows that if you can change one, you can change others. And I'm thinking right now of um, the theater section later where... um, he, when you said man is always greedy, all this stuff, it made me think of, um, let's see, Monsieur Binet, mm-hmm. who was 
the the father of the girl he gets engaged to at one point, but he's the theater troop leader. Mm-hmm. He just becomes more venial, more greedy. All his bad qualities that he's been hiding under this attitude of good cheer come to the surface yeah, as he's holding wow. Andre and under. Yeah, yeah. I, I, under as this, you're saying that, it ju- it just came to me that that is a microcosm of France at the time. Yeah. Right, he's like the the nobility of the group, mm-hmm. and he's horrible, you know, and he's treating them horribly, and he's wanting profit, and that's it, you know, doesn't want to give anyone their due, and you're right, he gets worse and worse until he's overthrown. Right, and none of them, none of the troop, really like him. Mm-mm. They work for him; they're all getting along, but you know. They're not really a group that's pulling together in that way, like you would think of a troop that goes from town to town to town, which is what they're doing. And, and they all are playing the same kind of a part. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could talk about that kind of theater just for a second later because I yeah. really loved it. But anyway. Always um, interested. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. You, the theater guy. But they, um, but as Andre finds ways to improve things. He he improves the scripts they're going from, or the, the play plots. Mm, yeah. He writes new ones, and they're better. And he has better ideas for marketing. And he's not doing this necessarily like, I want to run the troupe. He's just like, you know what? If you share the money with everyone, we can all do better. Mm. Everyone's good. So he talks him into yeah. sharing the money. And so what you're saying about it being a microcosm, this is how it could go if the revolution hadn't been pushed so much that it went up like a powder keg. Mm, right. This is They are more empowered. They're happier together. They're all supportive of each other. And when Benet and Mademoiselle Benet... Um, basically through their own bad choices wind up being separated from the group. (laughs) The group goes on and becomes quite profitable and does really well together. Mm -hmm. That's right. And, Mm. and the Benets don't have to, we never hear from them. Well, we don't hear from any of them again, but that we're told, you know, here's what happened. Yeah. The father and daughter are not, don't do well because they got really greedy, tried to, you know, reach too far instead of going, what we have here is pretty good. We could all do well together. Yeah. I hadn't really thought of it as that microcosm, but you're right. <laughs> yeah, it shows what how it could be. Right. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So since we're in the theater section, I just wanted to mention a couple things that I looked up because I was so interested in Scaramouche. So Scaramouche is a stock character. First of all, it's the name of the book. So what does that even mean? And by the end of the book, Andre is saying, I am Scaramouche. The character. So in this kind of theatrical or theater and the tradition of this theater, which starts with street plays and then performances and then goes on and does all kinds of things all through Europe, becomes like Punch and Judy shows and all kinds of things. But this kind, Commedia dell'arte, so now I've murdered that, <laughs> it's improvisational theater. Hmm. So the... Uh, the action of the play is all determined and written down and figured out, but the lines are all improvisational. So the actors yeah. are left to come up with their own way of saying these things as the play just, as the directions just say, okay, so now you tell her you love her and you also need to make sure that you talk about this, this, and this. 
to move yeah, the action. Yeah, he, he mentions that in the thing too. You know that. So what he's writing is like outlines almost. Yeah. He's like, yeah, we're gonna kind of go here, then we're gonna go here, then we're gonna go here. You know, so that's where we need to get. So at least there's some direction. Right. He's doing the framework essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and the people in the group do the same sort of a character all the time. So whatever character they do, they do that one a lot. So they have a lot of experience with that. So they get good at the improvisation and the things they can do to try to improve it, that kind of thing. And so Scaramouche is a stock, one of these stock characters. And as we see, as, as we're experiencing it in the book, it is kind of a roguish, funny character, kind of a rascal, you know, mm-hmm. and, he himself says, you know, I'm a rascal who tries to be honest. Hmm. And so one of the things I found interesting was the description I found says, a scaramouche influences the audience to do his bidding. Hmm. So they're kind of expecting that when these plays are happening for him to stop and talk interesting. to them, yeah. or whatever that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's what his character is like through the book, right? He's, he's a bit, he's always on the edge. And it's and a talent that he has. I mean, throughout yeah. the whole book, getting people to do, can, yeah, getting people to do what he bids. He's talking people into stuff the whole time. Right. Mm-hmm. And just kind of on the fly. So that's like the improvisational theater part. Yeah. How cool. And so then when I was learning about that and thinking about it, um, then I was thinking about the thing that I loved best in the sword play part, which is he's first working for the fencing school and then later winds up running it. And, um, but when he's just learning how to fence, for one thing, what I loved is that Sabatini wrote it so well that I could follow it really easily Hmm. as he's learning and learning to teach people and everything. But what I loved was Andre using the theory of fencing to develop this series Hmm. of lunges that would deceive an opponent and gradually pull them into the spot, which was right where you wanted them oh, to be. Oh, wow. To yeah. position them. Doing the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. So it's the same improvisational thing as the play, and the play where he's going, oh, I'm the Scaramouche, and they expect this, but here's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to give this speech. And he expected them to laugh or react somehow, the audience, because it was political, and instead they went up like a powder keg. <laughs> He didn't know how upset, you know, how everybody was ready to hear that. And it was the match that they needed to really get things rolling. And then, um, but with the sword play, he's using it to his own advantage, like when he's doing all the duels and everything. And then later when he's fighting the marquee, because nobody's really seen this kind of fighting before. Mm. So it puts him at an advantage. And it's the same thing, like you say, that he's been doing at the theater and with his own personality. So the whole way through, it's just we're being shown different ways that this can be used. Yeah, that's I wonderful. I thought that was that's so clever. wonderful. Very clever. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's terrific. Yeah. Yeah, another thing that fascinated me, and I think this is going to roll right into that as well, is, <laughs> excuse me, so he's the master of this um, academy. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I guess first we should say um, that he did make amends with his godfather. Mm-hmm. Um, but his godfather said, D- 
do not get into politics yeah. and we'll be good, right? We'll, we'll continue to be friendly. Right. I can forgive what you did in starting all these riots because, yeah, his godfather says, I truly believe we're here to lead the people and what you're doing is wrong. Right. Yeah. And he himself is living by that code. The mm-hmm. Godfather. He gets along with his people. He takes <clears throat> care of them. He's not like the Marquis. You know? Yeah. That's interesting, you know, because, you know, we, we read that part earlier about, you know, has, has any system been tried or proved or anything like that? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's interesting, you know, because it, it all just depends on who's in the spot, you know? It's like we could live in a monarchy if the monarch was a good person. You know what I mean? If, um, you know, it's like, if you think about one of the things that um, I dislike about communism as a system is I feel like it focuses the power on very few people. And at least, you know, in the United States, in our system, you know, flaws and all, it's it's spread out. You know, there's a lot of people Mm -hmm. involved. And, you know, if you think about a corporation, I mean, there are corporations just, you know, all over. And some of them run in a way that you like and some of them run in a way you don't like. And, you know, the theory is, if you know, go go to work for one you like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Right. You know, but um, but the thing is, well, you know, communism would probably work OK if it was a good person. But the problem well, is done honestly. Yeah. yeah well, but the problem is we can't Tito, count on that. We can't count on it, no matter what the present day is. And that's something that's happening in the United States a lot, I think, is it's like we'll have a president that's a Democrat, let's say, and that president wants to expand the presidential power with some, you know, like executive orders is what um, Obama was doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Democrats are all for that. Well, they're not all for that with Trump in there. You know what I mean? (laughs) So now Trump is in there and he's doing the same thing and they're crying foul. And, right. um, you know, and then Trump expands it in his way and it's the most horrible thing in the world, the best thing in the world for a Republican, you know, <clears throat> but the problem is <clears throat> every time we do that, we need to understand that a person that we don't like is going to be doing that, you know, whoever's next, right. you're, you're, you're setting up that precedent and that, you know, the United States is, you know, precedence, precedence. And, um, you know, I will recommend, there's a book that Henry Kissinger wrote, I think it's just called Leadership, and it's new, relatively mm. new, and um, maybe last year. Anyway, um, the the chapters themselves I'm not that interested in, and it was a gift to Tom who read it, and you know, he said, read the introduction, read um, this chapter on this guy from Singapore. Um But basically, Kissinger highlights six different leaders who he's worked with and says they had, they were effective leaders in their own way, their own circumstances for these various reasons, right? Mm -hmm. But the introduction of that book is one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen about here's what leadership really is. Here are all the things a good leader is balancing, they're having the right team. They're listening to people, but they also have a vision. But the vision keeps other people's ideas in mind. All the things. And when you think of how hard that is to do, to get the right person in the spot to do that, um, 
you can see why what Andre says in this book is, you know, you've got to change men. Hmm. You can have anybody be a leader, like all the examples that you pointed out. But to have something that works right, the right man has to be in there, and that's because you have to change the man. And, of course, what what Andre experiences by the end of the book is he doesn't really always know who the men are or why they're doing things because the Marquis has told him some things that he's like, oh, you know, they're never going to agree. But he wasn't just acting out of pure malice. Yeah. You know, the Marquis was acting to protect his system. He could see this conflict coming, and he knew that people like uh, Philippe were going to have exactly the kind of rhetoric that was going to push it into revolution. Hmm. And he, he was like, it wasn't even that he was like, that's the wrong way to do it. He's like, no, we're keeping things the way they are. You have to die because you're too dangerous. What he didn't realize is that he had somebody just as dangerous unleashed went because Andre took up that mantle and went on with it. And in fact, in fact, of course, never was kind of out of his path. Yeah. So it's, but it's about who's the right man. And in fact, him telling Andre some of those other things made Andre say, okay, I'm going to give you one chance to escape. Basically, I'm going to turn my back, you run, <laughs> and I'm not going to look for you. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's very interesting thoughts, you know. Mm-hmm. There are there are problems with communism besides that, too, you know, um, the freedom to have action <laughs> well, and stuff like that. Yes. Um, the Catholic but, Church know, will say it's yeah. the wrong system because you yeah. have to have – because property is a good thing mm-hmm. and people should use their property right and blah, blah, blah like that. Yeah. But um, – Everybody has the right to have their own things. Mm-hmm. And communism doesn't let you do that. And it's the most simple version of right. yeah, the church doesn't absolutely. like. But yeah. 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 So it's a little um, simplistic, but it's just more of a thought experiment. Mm-hmm. You know? If, yeah. If, well, if you could you count know, on the goodness of the people, not only that you're installing now, but the ones that are going to come after and after and after. And I think well, that that was it. a lot of the worries of the people that founded the United States in the first place. It was like, how do we create a system that that uh, minimizes the effect of one bad person, you know? Well, and honestly, too, when you think about the monarchy, this is going to make me sound odd, maybe, but, you know, the monarchy surely is the intended way for people to live Hmm. because Christ is the king. Hmm. Interesting. If every king acts like Christ, takes care of his people, nurtures them so they can use their talents for the best of everybody. They are truly a wise and good ruler who you want to have. Hmm. The problem is, can you change the man or can the right man (laughs) get in the spot? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. David, for all his flaws in the old Testament is the King. They always remember why he loved God. He tried to act honestly when he slipped and fell, which he did, he would admit it and come back to acting the right way. This is what we want from a leader. Yeah. Let's Very all do what God wants us to. Yeah. This is the model that a good king would follow. Mm. Now, I would say uh, our government, it is spread out, but throughout history, government has been spread out. You've always had mayors of towns always had whatever running whatever we've got uh we're all sending our leaders to the top 
but it's still a very stratified group of people. Yeah, it's And they're is. not necessarily doing it for the reasons mm-hmm. that the people hope. Right. You know? Yeah, so yeah they're doing just it. Just like yeah. every other system, we've got our own problems to deal with. I agree, it's, it's based in something that has is trying to give all the people representation. That's a good thing. But, um, yeah, that's, yeah, they've all in, got problems. In Congress, if, if enough of them are good, it's going to work well. <laughs> well, we just, yeah. We need enough of them, yeah. Yeah. And right now, I think it's tilted the wrong way. Yeah, it's funny because we were talking maybe last night about stuff, and I said, you know, and how crazy things are in the government and everything. And I said, it's really funny to me to think in a hundred years, are people going to look at this time period and say, whoa, this is like the Wild West, just like back in like, what, the 1820s, (laughs) when, you know, we look at all those shenanigans going on that were horrible to live through. But now you just go, and I had the wrong time period for whatever, but the know nothing group and the Mm, whatevers and the, you know, just all the Tammany Hall and all those things where you look at it and go, it was insane. Well, that's us right now. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, so. Yeah. And the revolution, of course, was uh, that times a hundred. Right. Because it was so uh, horrible with the yeah. loss of life yeah. and everything. And that that's kind of what I was getting at um, as we started to move. So the, you know, his, his godfather said, you know, don't be involved in politics. And then later on, you know, he had no intention to get into politics, but later on they say, oh, yeah, somebody comes to him and says, hey, you're so good at sword fighting. We're having this problem. (laughs) Our opposition keeps challenging our people to duels and then they go out and they kill them. And they were called spadassinicides, spadassinicides. I have no (laughs) idea. I don't know if we that's don't know a what's French going on word. there, people. But anyway, yeah. it's like a homicide, but it's, um, you know, uh, legal. Yeah. You know, if you challenge him to do it, you get to go do that legally. So right. Andre Louis, you know, he says, no, I don't think so. I'm not going to do that. And then um, as the person that was asking him starts walking away, he mentions the marquee. <laughs> and then he says, what? <laughs> Did you say... The name that I just thought you said, and he said yes, indeed, and he's like, "All right, I'm in," because he, he's, you know, he has this little aside, you know, he's like, "Wait a minute, if I do this, I get to kill him, and it'll be legal." Right. I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. So this, um, this idea, it it just felt like it was of our time in a way. I mean, we're not going out and literally murdering. We're challenging, you know, uh, here somebody challenges somebody to duel and then honor uh, makes them go out and face each other with swords. Um, In our system today, it feels similar to that. There's a lot of this going on where, but they're not killing each other. They're like accusing each other of things, Um, you know, court cases and, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. nobody's. Nobody's worried about the laws, right? In fact, um, there was a line here where he said, why don't we fall on these scoundrels sword in hand? And then Andre Louis says, it is so much simpler than lawmaking. (laughs) (laughs) That is like, that's now. That's what's happening right now in Congress, you know. So right now, I mean, there's all these silly fights that everybody's getting in constantly. And meanwhile, the problems just continue. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it just felt 
similar to me, even though there aren't any actual swords. Uh, no, you're right. It's everybody's just uh, throwing the gauntlet down to each other. Yeah, exactly. Using a different method. And the unrest of the people is very obvious in the way the rest of the country is acting. The, the states that are all unhappy with each other and with the government, federal government, um, the, the people who, the social groups, I guess you would call them, who are the, the left and the right to be, make it easy. But there's all kinds of other variations of that who are, you know, um, I guess canceling each other and accusing each other of stuff and <laughs> causing scandals over it because there's just this, this lack of consensus on a modern goal. Yeah. You know, what is it that our country means and what is it that we're working for together? Mm. And it turns out right now that there's a great deal of confusion over all that. And nobody's acting nicely and politely about it. They're yes. all calling each other out to duel on the internet. Right. Oh, too funny. Mm. So th this, um, but yeah, I mean, too funny what I'm about to read. Is just okay. too funny because um, as he's being talked into it, right, and the guy is walking away, and he, and then he says, "What did you say?" You know, and he says, "I said, yeah. I said, Marquis de la Tour Azir, right?" And he says, "Well, what yeah. has he got to do with this proposal you are making?" And he says, "He, why he is the phlebotomist in chief." I love that. That was the best. Yeah. It's like he's drawing yeah. the blood, man. He's letting blood. Yeah. <laughs> so that was cool. And then yeah. he goes. He goes to Congress and or whatever they call it uh, there, and um, starts to kick some butt, right? Yeah, and, and he, he doesn't. He start with um, the Marquis cousin. Yep, yep. Who was there and laughing when he killed and helped him? Right. Lure the priest into uh, yes. accepting the bait. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. And so he, he kills him. Mm -hmm. Then the other people who start challenging him, because it's the kind of thing, you know, it's also so high school in so many ways. Yes, you know, for sure. He's standing outside, and it's like they're not waiting for a bus, but it, I always imagined it like everybody's standing waiting for the bus to come, and this guy comes and just knocks into him with his shoulder and goes, oh, oh. And he's are you going to say you're sorry? I didn't even see you. <laughs> it was just, you know, and he's like, that's it. <laughs> Tomorrow morning at sunrise out in the woods. Oh, my gosh. Surely. I'll do it. But what happens is after that, he starts just injuring people. Yeah. Severely, but injuring them. He's not killing anyone because he's really just and waiting for the And it's so marquee. easy for him. He's just like yeah. kicking their butts. It's not yeah. even close. Not even. I mean, yeah. he's not got a scratch on him ever. I know. Yeah. Yeah, but, but I did love good. the description of his fight with the Marquis. It was very exciting. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought it was great. And, yeah. um, you know, and I loved it. wasn't, you know, this is a character who's like really good at a lot of stuff, right? But it's believable. Mm -hmm. It's not like, it's not like ridiculous, you know? He spent two years doing swordplay in, in this academy. So, I mean, the author sets it up nice, you know? And, and that line that I read about his education you know, confusing him, set him up for the acting and the writing that he mm -hmm. did, you know, cause he, he was, he had read that stuff, you know, so it wasn't just completely out of blue. I'm, I'm awesome at everything. You know, I, like you do get sometimes, um, well, John yeah, Carter of Mars, for example, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, well, so you know. it's not like that. I, I just, um, it's not eye rolling in that way. It's fun. It's super fun. Um, yeah. I love his snappy dialogue. Oh, I and know. The lines and, are just great. Yeah, and Andre Louis is just a, 
he's a really cool character, and and I do yeah. love that there's this journey that we go on with him, and then at the end, with the realization of of every, all this situation in his life, the resolution of who his parents are, mm-hmm. and then him dun, getting dun, dun. with his <laughs> with his not cousin, <laughs> yeah, which is so, awesome. I'm sorry. Nope. So one thing I want I did want to mention though is when you brought that up about who his parents are, I was like, but the nice thing here is the author doesn't miss a chance or has set it up, I guess, so that the Marquis himself, who turns out when when um Madame, whoever it is, says, You can't do that. He's ours, he's your son. And he's like, What? <laughs> Oh, that adulterous affair that we had where, oh, that, oh, Oh okay. Mm -hmm. And so um, he says, um, he's like, okay, that's fine. I'm leaving. You know, I've, I've, uh," he turns into somebody who's, you can at least kind of like, he's Mm -hmm. not likable in a lot of his attitudes, but he's honest so when earlier Aileen, who's the niece, the, the I'm sorry, the cousin, who um, everybody seems to be in love with, um, <laughs> is really mad at him because, okay, so it gets complicated. But what happens is Andre's engaged to Mademoiselle Binet. But unbeknownst to Andre, the Marquis has said, oh, she's awfully cute. And he started sending her <laughs> presents and taking her out. <laughs> Well, you know, well, it happens. He's in the theater and went, you know, these kind of girls, they will do a certain thing if you give them certain stuff. (laughs) And she would. Mm -hmm. And um, so anyway, so he's got her as a mistress and Aileen finds out about it. And she's like, that is disgusting. First of all, she knows that it's Andre's fiance. Although, to be fair, the Marquis does not. Um, But then she's like, how dare you even Look at me with the eyes that have been doing this with this woman. <laughs> Don't even touch me with those fingers. You cannot wash them clean enough. I mean, she I gets really, I love it. Yeah. She is like, no good. way, man. Yep. And so he, and, and he's like, oh, holy crap. First of all, I didn't realize you'd known about it. And second of all, I <sighs> really love you. Mm. And they say if he'd have been, if he'd have met her at a different time, it might have changed who he was. Right. Right. And so he's like, oh, that's it. I'm giving her up. I'm going <laughs> to apologize. I mean, I will do anything. I love her like she's the queen of heaven. Mm. So I was really impressed with that. Yeah. I was yeah. really surprised. Well, then what happens is he finds out he finds out later, because um, Eileen's there at the big denouement in the middle of, you know, Paris is burning or people are all being shot. Everything's happening. The revolution is broken loose and they're in this house kind of huddled up going, how do we get out of here? And people keep stumbling in and going, oh, you, you're here too. How handy. Let's all talk about this stuff. And um, so, but the Marquis then finds out when he's talking to Elaine, she goes, well, and then, you know, you're having a thing with his fiance. And he goes, oh, crap. I didn't know that. It's like, why can I not shake this guy off? He's continually crossing my path. Hmm. It is destiny. And um, let's see. He says, um, a singular fatality at work between that man and me, bringing us ever by turns athwart the other's path. Hmm. And that's when he finds out that she was the fiance before he seduced her, right? Well, then he's found out that um, he's actually, 
his father. And he's like, oh, my gosh. Oh, crud. My Kindle just <laughs> quit on me. Hold on. Oh. And he goes, ah, oh, man. He goes, we are all, he says, the sport, meaning Andre says, the sport of destiny. Ah, uh, but not quite. Destiny is an intelligent force moving with purpose. In life, we pay for the evil that in life we do. That is the lesson that I have learned tonight. By an act of betrayal, I begot, unknown to me, a son who, whilst as ignorant as myself of our relationship, has come to be the evil genius of my life, to cross and thwart me, and finally to help pull me down in ruin. It is just, poetically just, my full and resigned acceptance of the fact is the only atonement that I can offer you. Hmm. And I thought, well, you know, that is really so true. Hmm. So good yeah, of him to, right. to recognize that, you know, the evil we're paying, he's paying for all the bad choices that he made in his life. And he's like an act of betrayal because he wasn't married, but she was. Mm-hmm. So by him acting in a way he shouldn't have, all this got set into motion. And um, then you look at this, the book, the whole book, and think about the fact that the whole thing is, as we were saying, it's all interconnected in this idea of our improvisation in, you know, in the theater, or Andre's in the theater, in the swordplay, in the, all the political stuff and everything. But the whole thing is kind of looking at Life is set out before us. We make the decisions that we make. You know, he, he gives the speech for his friend. That sets him off this way. So in a sense, it's destined that he runs away. But he's mm-hmm. improvising the whole time, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like our lives, isn't it? Oh, sure, yeah. We see the light ahead of us, the road a certain way. Sometimes we have to veer off because something unexpected happens. But, you know, like me, I, I get married we really want to have kids. We do all these things happen, but along the way we're having to improvise yeah. the lines. Cause we can't plan you know? it out, right? No, we can't plan it. Yeah. And also it's the basic line of the play has been given to us as the actors. How do we play our parts? Yeah. And oh, this I is, love he that played, it's great. Yeah. He played his part poorly. And I was thinking about that. I was going, well, this book is like a Catholic or Christian's life with God. God has laid our lives down in the sense that we're born. We have parents. We grow up. We do these things. These are all things we do under whatever circumstances, and we're improvising as we go. Mm. You know, to the best of our ability, making the choices we can make based on the small amount of knowledge that we have. Because, you know, when Andre says, you know, in life, or no, I'm sorry, when we know all of whatever it may be, then that's when you can forgive because you're making decisions maybe based on something that's not true. Yeah, right. But you do the best you can. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, this book is kind of like life that way. Yeah. It's not necessarily what he was saying. I mean, he wasn't going in now, this is the lesson, but <laughs> it's woven through the whole thing. And when reading it for the podcast, I kept thinking, yeah, I couldn't have predicted I'd wind up here. Mm-hmm. No but question. I was improvising yeah. as I went. That's yeah. right, yeah. Very, very true. I mean, yeah, I, I love that because, yeah, it's, it's just true. Yeah. I guess that's, is that how you can have God outside of time looking at what's happening? Because mm-hmm. to him it's all one thing, which, of course, I don't understand at all. <laughs> but then we're down here making our free will decisions. Yep. Yep. 
moment by moment, mm-hmm. trying to be have integrity in those moments. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trying and to do what's just. Trusting that it'll lead to somewhere good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's, and apologizing for the things that we find out we didn't get right. And indeed, yeah. Trying yeah. to improve on the things that we've got a gris- grasp on for a little yeah. while that um, we can that's try right. to be better. Every and now and then we got to be put back right. on the tracks. Yeah, Because we've right. fallen off of them and we need to get put back on there. Yeah, it's gone off the rails. <clears throat> that's right. Mm-hmm. Off the rails, yeah. I love that. Yeah, that's just yeah. neat. Yeah. What a good book. Um, that, that end scene too, between, um, Andre Louis and his dad, oh. <laughs> the marquee yeah. that we, when they drew the pistols, I was like, no way. Oh. Yeah, it was just good. Was it like, was so good. Oh yeah. I was just like, oh my gosh, they're going to, he's, they're going to do What's it. What's happening? Yeah. Right <laughs> oh, yeah. No. I mean, the marquee pulls his pistol out. Then Andre Louis says, yeah, I've got one too. Guess what? And it's just like, man, right in this room. The women are there. Mm-hmm. Oh, he was good. Uh, Isn't and, that and when I his said, mother I throws him? You, uh, right, you yeah. know, we talked a little bit right before the show. Um, you said that this is a movie, but it's an older movie. But mm-hmm. I, I think it would be ter- a terrific show. I mean, you know, if it would be like a ten episode series, perhaps, but it is fantastic. It could I could see this being just a great, great movie. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. A great movie or great, like you were saying, the 10-part show. Miniseries, yeah, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it would be great. Maybe 10 episodes is too many, but it's, it's yeah, it would be, yeah. I mean, everything should be in the movie, too. There's really no reason to cut any of it, but how fun would right. it be? It would. It could be just terrific. Um, oh, yeah. But anyway, but you've seen the movie, and... Uh, do you recall it or at all? Or it how, was. Uh, yeah. I remember it was. It was good. It had. You know. I think before I was thinking it was Errol Flynn, but it's not. It's Stuart Granger, somebody huh. who I didn't expect. I haven't seen him much, and I tend to think of westerns I don't even know when I who think that of is, him. But that's cool. Oh Very well, nice. he wasn't. He's not known as much. Let's see. Uh, there let it is. Nineteen twenty-three. Really oh, that's that's yeah. too early. There it is. Nineteen fifty-two. Stuart. Yeah, nineteen fifty-two. And um, let me just look really quick on Letterboxd. It says Stuart Granger, I... Eleanor Parker, Janet Leigh. Really? I know. Um, and Mel Ferrer, Ferrar. Mel Ferrar. Yeah. Yeah, he was married to Audrey Hepburn for a while, and he was also a director. I don't know if he directed that or not. Nice. Let's see. Okay, I just said, oh, well, maybe this isn't the best recommendation. I gave it two and a half stars, so never mind. <laughs> so half. So it was okay. Out of five. It was all right. Zorro or Seahawk. Uh-huh. It does have many of the elements of the novel, but somehow felt cut and pasted without smooth joining. Ah, uh, there we go. So. Yeah. So, yeah. Just needs to be longer. Somebody picked yeah, this one up. That's it. Well, yeah. my memory was that they did a decent job of finding the pieces in the, in the book that they could put into a movie, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But like I said, it's not Zorro or even the movie The Seahawk, which yeah. was a book by Raphael Sabatini, where they only took the name, put Errol Flynn into it, and made it into a different movie, which was really good. Mm. So, yeah, both are good, but both are different. Yeah. This is cool. It has on the Wikipedia page: budget three million five thousand dollars, <laughs> box <laughs> office six point seven million. 
did okay. good. Well Doubled done. it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> Very good. I wonder what a blockbuster movie was in those times. How much it would pull in. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't uh, know. you know, is that like a quarter at a time? <laughs> How much was a movie ticket in <laughs> yeah. 1952? Or even smaller. A dollar? I mean, even I don't a even dime, know. maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but to spend $3 million on a movie, I wonder, does that seem like a lot back then? I imagine uh, the, the sets and stuff were probably in the pretty 60s, cool. I don't know. Yeah, but I feel like the sets, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, cool. Let's I'm gonna, I'll check it out sometime, but but I would I would love to see a new one. So, yeah, um, oh, Carl no. Urban should really, get right on it. It would be really good yeah. to see a new one. So, yeah. Carl Urban would probably have to play the marquee. Oh my gosh. He'd be a great marquee. Yeah. Let's let's get Carl Urban to do it. <laughs> let's do it. He can play all who the parts. Who cares who Andre is? <laughs> I'm just gonna watch Carl Urban. Uh, I'm gonna root for him, even though he's evil. Too funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Well, gosh. Okay. Well, thanks for this book. I really well, liked it, and and I picked up Captain Blood immediately because I was that's his, I liked this so much. Um, that's I his have most a book famous. in between, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna read that fairly quickly. Yeah, I, Captain Blood is good, and I was also thinking about it. I was like that or the Seahawk. I think I'm gonna pick up and read again. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I just and like these are all that. Public Raphael domain, Sabatini. so they're like a dollar in on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. He's got later ones that are more expensive because they're not public domain. Mm. Since he wrote 34 books, um, and then let me think. I. I might have. Uh, oh, there are books on. that are not in public domain that he wrote. Because he was in the 20s. <clears throat> wow, he wrote as late as 1949. Look at Oscar that. Oscar Yeah, I was going to say he had books in the 40s, 50s. I thought 50s, but I guess not. Yeah. He died in 1950. So. Yeah. But he was writing. He just was so prolific. He oh, wrote a new after. book a year, basically. <clears throat> wow, that's so good. Yeah. So The Seahawk is 1915. That is a really good one. Um, Skarmish, obviously, that's 1921. Captain Blood was 1922. And cool. I mm. also really like, just for a uh, something that's a little older, but I love a St. Martin's Summer. Let me see, which is also called, known as The Queen's Messenger, and that was 1909. Hmm. That one's, Early on, yeah. There it is. I, it's a good, good swashbuckling adventure, and I find it extremely amusing because Fun. the it's a very gruff hero who's sent to rescue essentially a, a princess in a castle sort of situation and um but he hates women he just hates them but he's been sent by a queen to do this mm-hmm. and he's got and the person who's got this girl in the castle and won't let her out is a woman who's a powerful uh, you know uh, matriarch and then there's the girl in the castle. So <laughs> it, he's having to deal with all women. Wow. It just makes me laugh. The That's whole, cool. the, I, I don't know. I just find it amusing. Anyway, <laughs> I enjoy it. Well, good. Good, good. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So. All right. Well, what is up next for us? Hmm. Where are we going now? <gasps> that is... We're staying in France. Oh, France. Back to Paris. <laughs> Amelie. Um, Amelie. There, I was going to say you pronounce it. Yeah, Amelie. Amelie it is. Yes. Very good. I've not seen that. Looking forward to it. I know. I think you said you'd never heard of it. And no, it no. was, it did really well. 
really well in this cool. country. So oh, good. yeah. Okay. But well, I'm looking forward to it. That'll be fun. Yes, it will have a real different feel. Okay. <laughs> it's much more whimsical. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Sounds terrific. Sounds terrific. Yeah. All right. It'll be fun. Okay. Well, thanks everyone right. for listening. Yes. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. All right. Catch you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.